This episode is brought to you by Daily Aliyah, an incredibly practical new book by Rabbi Shlomo Ressler presenting a Torah insight corresponding to each Aliyah of every Parsha. Make the Torah our most precious gift a part of your daily life. Allow its timeless message to inspire you and inform your day. Whether you're a seasoned learner or just starting, this unique book will empower you to reflect, introspect, and engage with the Torah by focusing on just one Aliyah a day. Order your copy of Daily Aliyah at dailyaliyah.org today. That's dailyaliyah, A-L-I-Y-A-H dot org. Proceeds go to support the work of daily giving. Jewish Money Matters, episode 356, Ask Yael. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters, the podcast where Jewish wisdom and spirituality meet your money and your business. Money is a means to serve God in this world with joy, to build a life that leaves an imprint way beyond our time in this world. I want you to discover the secrets to Jewish wealth, to gain practical and spiritual tools to break free from the shackles of financial worry, to design the joyful, rich life that your soul desires. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, and I'm so glad you're here. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome to the show. Another Friday, November 10th. Actually, it's my English birthday. <laughs> this is an episode of Ask Yael Friday. You know that, where I come and answer your questions. And yes, it is my English birthday today. I was out of town for my Hebrew birthday a few days ago, and I guess that's when the celebration really happened. Thanks to both my friends, Joyce Azria and Margie Scherer, with whom, whom I got to celebrate my birthday, my Hebrew birthday. And now I'm back home and very happy to be back with my family. Very busy week, a week, I don't know, a weird kind of busy, like things didn't flow kind of busy. Technology failed me and my team way too often and slowed down so many things, which meant I had to stay cool and collected, right? Have bitachon here that uh, I'm not in control. Um, and, but it honestly left me more drained of energy. I mean, I didn't have energy in the first place. So um, I'm depleted. I'm really looking forward to Shabbat. That's that's the truth. But alas, here we are a little bit later than usual, because yesterday I spent the day with my daughter, which was worth every hour. And then I taught my bitachon class, my developing trust class happens every Thursday night. It's been going on for a very long time now, but it's gaining tremendous popularity. I guess we all need it, right? I mean, I don't know who needs it more, the participants of or me. I need it. So I thank you. I thank you for pushing me to teach it. We have over 200 women enrolled in this class. It's free every Thursday night. Welcome to all of our new participants. Not all of you come live, but you're so sweet with your weekly messages, either on YouTube or emailing me or DMing me that you're enjoying the class. If you want to join us, you just have to go to yaeltrush.com forward slash bitachon. Here's actually something that somebody just sent me. It says, thank you for offering your bitachon classes. And it has been such a source of encouragement for me the last few weeks that I've been able to tune in. My bitachon has definitely grown and I worry less. Beautiful. And there's so many others. Maybe I'll keep sharing over the weeks, but there's a lot more that we've got to get to in this episode. So I'm going to head over to the Apple podcast review section to say thank you and to gift a 20 minute session uh, with me to our friend Alexia, who left a review just this week, November 6, captivating and uplifting. 
Hi, Yael. Thank you for episode 355. I greatly enjoyed it. You made very important observations. And as always, I learned a lot. I love how you always look for balance, emphasize the importance of mental health, and bring light where there is confusion and darkness. Your upbeat energy is contagious, so please keep on sharing your incredible knowledge and wisdom. I found the point about spending Meister money on Torah books very interesting and wonder if there's anything else that applies to this rule. Maybe you can let us know at some point. Point. Thanks again. Oh, so you know what? Why don't I answer this right now? Even though I didn't have it, um, I didn't prepare it for the episode. But first of all, thank you, Alexia. Thank you for the review. I am so glad that you enjoyed. You know, um, sometimes um, it's nice to hear that the Ask Yale episodes uh, are of benefit, and I, I think they are. I tend to hear a lot uh, from you, um, but not necessarily in the review section. So it's nice to get a review that's specifically about an Ask Yale episode and. Um, Let's talk about other things that might apply to this rule. I, I want you, I think the first thing to say is that I want you, you and everybody listening to know that you can call a Rav and you should call a Rav and ask about Meister. Some, some, there are several things that might be, um, things that you could use your Meister money towards. Some things that come to mind that I've had discussions about before is um, tuition for girls' education in particular. Although, you know, again, you have to ask. Another thing that comes to mind, and again, that's Torah education. So, and it's for girls, and I'm not exactly sure what ages. So again, you have to ask. But another thing that comes to mind is that I've heard before is day-to-day expenses for a bachor, uh, a young man learning Torah and yeshiva full-time. Um not his tuition though, but his living expenses, his day-to-day expenses, because he has no way of supporting himself. Now you also have to ask, I mean, I'm, and I'm talking about a 14, 15, 16 year old, you know, teenager, not an adult. So again, these are just a little bit of ideas, some ideas to give you a starting point. Um, and, you know, kind of allow you to open your mind to the fact that this is this is a very nice area to ask a Rav. I mean, it's always good to ask Ravs about any area of Halacha, but when it comes to Meister, it's, it, it definitely is important. You're going to want to ask... Um, and just FYI, with the even with the books question, uh, even I, I, even though I knew the answer because I'd asked before, I went ahead and I asked it um, before I answered here, just to confirm to make sure that I remembered correctly, exactly, etc. So everyone, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Ask a Rav about Meister and explain to him your particular financial situation. Give him the whole context of the question, um, you know, and my experience is that this is super helpful and enlightening and you will be happily surprised. All right. So Alexia, connect with me and I will send you a link for us to touch base on the phone or via Zoom and I look forward to it. All right. Before I move to our official questions this week, important announcement, a quick announcement, reminder that Joyce Azria and I have a program starting November 22nd for business owners called Maximize. Uh, Wait, November 21st. I'm sorry. How did I miss that? Hold on. Let's look at my calendar, people. We changed the date. We moved the date. Yes, November 21st. Um, And that program is called Maximize. We have a beautiful cohort of women so far. You can check out the details at yaeltrush.com forward slash maximize and apply over there. The start date was moved, as I just told you, to November 21st to accommodate our participants in Eretz Israel and Israel. But we are looking forward to a very nice 
uh, six months together. Really, really very much looking forward to spending the next six months together with you. And if you're a business owner in Israel, you might actually qualify for a scholarship. As I told you on the show before, we have a limited amount of scholarships. We just actually just yesterday had one person who couldn't take their scholarship offer. So there definitely is room. So submit your application. And if this applies to you and your business is in Israel, please make a note there that your business is based in Israel. And I would also add, why don't you drop me an email with the subject line Israel Maximize so that I do know to really look out for your application, etc. and be in touch with you. Again, yaeltrush.com forward slash maximize. Uh, Check out all the details there, but I'm pretty sure a lot of you who are in business might want to join us for the next six months. All right. Our first question in the mailbag comes from Aliza. And Aliza asks via WhatsApp, Yael, what do you think about the upcoming banking crisis? How can we prepare as business owners? Okay. Wow, Alisa, you woke me up with this question. Uh, I don't know if like my head is in, you know, <laughs> I don't know where my head is these days. It's very, been very hard to focus. Uh, honestly, I didn't even know there's talk about an upcoming banking crisis per se. I mean, do I... I mean, I'm not, I'm not that living in the clouds, but, you know, it's not like I think we're living our best economic days, but, you know, we're not necessarily living our best moment in terms of the economy, no, but, uh, you know, we see the stock market, we also experienced bank runs earlier this year, the world is in turmoil, and, uh, you know, maybe an impending banking crisis is the least of the things I have on my mind. Um, as you heard me say before, I am trying to stay optimistic here and focused on the goal as a Jewish woman and as a Jewish business owner. And the goal is not necessarily to save my bank accounts at this point. I think the goal is to end this terrible exile and for all of us to be dancing with Bashir in Yishalayim. And I know that's your goal too, huh? but I'm just, I'm just, again, I'm, I'm refocusing us. Now to your question. Having said that, it could be that you're concerned about the bank, a banking crisis happening, and it could be that, that there's been talk about that, and I just kind of have been missing it, okay? I personally am not. I'm going to be honest and say it again. I am not concerned about this. Maybe I am delusional, <laughs> but I have zero concerns about that. I'm more concerned about getting myself to Israel. Anyone else with me? Like, am I the only one here? <laughs> like, can we just move there already? Anyway. Anyway, I think a few fundamental principles still apply here, Lisa. If you have this real concern, let's talk about it, okay? Principle number one, you know it. That's where you're coming to me to ask the question. Number one, study bitachon so that your concern doesn't turn into a full worry or anxiety, right? Like we can be preoccupied in the sense that it's something that we have to be busy with, like we have to prepare for, and this is what I'm about to discuss, right? But that doesn't have to be that we're worried about it. And we actually um, talked about that yesterday in class, those of you who were in class yesterday, I mentioned the difference between, you know, being occupied with something like on a practical level and being concerned and worried about something. So number one, study bitachon. Number two, let's take the practical measures and, you know, and that might look different for everyone. So it's hard here for me to tell you some specifics, right? For you, it might mean I want to be mindful of expenses, both on the business side and the personal side. I might want to hold on to more liquidity. I don't want to incur high interest debt. Those are very typical things that we might look at um, when we're expecting something or when we're trying to be more cautious, right? Um, Whatever it is that you're thinking applies to your particular situation and that you think might mitigate 
um, what you describe as a quote unquote banking crisis, which again can mean different things to different people and can impact different people differently. Whatever those things are that, you know, do those things that are those mitigators with emotional distance. In other words, not from a place of fear, for sure, not panic, but from a place of caution or maybe um, planning, right? If there was a verb for that, like just um, of being cautious in terms of prudent, maybe is a better word. Planning is a better word, maybe like meaning you're you're always you're anyways always planning, right? We're anyways always doing things for our business, for our personal finance, a personal financial life. Um, in this case, maybe now you're taking a different direction because you have a certain expectation, right? But you're still planning. So in the same way that you would normally plan, perhaps you're shifting gears somewhat, but you're doing that. The part that I don't want is for you to be doing it from a place of panic and worry. I heard something very nice on a plane recently when I was coming back. I was listening to this podcast, Stories to Inspire, highly recommend it. And I made a note. Uh, somebody said their plan for tomorrow, yes. Worry about tomorrow, no. Or maybe they said it differently and I just wrote it like that. And made, I, I made a note for myself that that's the way I interpreted it. That's that's what happened. I made a note. You know, sometimes I hear things and I'm like, oh, you know, this is how I interpret this. I would share it with my audience. So that's what I, what I remember like noting in the notes app of my phone. Plan for tomorrow, yes. Worry about tomorrow, no. Which brings us back to obviously the first thing that I mentioned, which was bitachon, right? Reliance, trust. Do whatever you need to do but not because you're worried, but because you're planning. That we can do, right? Does one have the ability to plan without being emotionally invested and reliant in the plan? Yes, but the only way to do that, the only way to do that is to be emotionally invested and reliant in God, right? Otherwise, we're going to become reliant and emotionally invested in the plan, so to speak, okay? So that's my answer. Good luck. Do not panic. Um, I think I think you'll be fine. I think we're all going to be fine, but we just have to go straight to the address. <laughs> Yud K Vav K Hashem. All right. Question number two from Matty. Matty asks on LinkedIn. Hi, Yael. I just listened to your speech from last year. You gave at Tamima Gass's summit um, the idea of how to balance ishtadlus, effort, and bitachon. You explained so powerfully and how and well how it goes together. The mindset shift on pricing is a game changer. For someone starting, how do we balance pricing and being there and creating an offer people need? So it's actually very funny that you asked this question, Mati, and that you mentioned, it's actually Tamima Glass, I think. Um, I was in Tamima's um, summit this, just this week. So you heard last week's Maybe maybe she also used a recording this week, but I was also in the t summit this week. You, you heard last year's presentation, and this week she had a summit on reliance, uh, not, not reliance, sorry, on, on resilience, and I was there presenting also on Bitachon and how it applies to our resilience. It was a great time. It was a lot of fun, and I'm glad I, I did it. Um, so back to your question. For someone starting, how do we balance pricing, being there and creating an offer people need? Okay, so Matty, you're asking a big question. It's something that I go over extensively uh, in my course from purpose to profit, which actually ended a few weeks ago, maybe even like a month and a half ago. Uh, 
So yes, you first have to craft an offer that people need. Of course, in order to do that, you have to start becoming visible and vocal about your product or service, or more specifically, the problem that you're looking to solve. And you want to ask a segment of the population who seem to be wanting something from you, you know, what they need. You want to give them options. You want to have that dialogue. You want to listen to them. You want to and test an offer and get feedback and incorporate the feedback, right? There's a whole process here. Um, but just to clarify something that's very important, you've validated an offer once you've charged for it, once somebody's, well, somebody's paid for it, paid for it, not when it's free, okay? Validating the offer, validating the product or the service in the market is when somebody pays you for it. And this is very important to know. Now, so how do you price the offer? In most cases, my advice is that you look at the existing market, right? It's kind of like when you're about to sell a property, right? You you want to know what the comps are, what the market is. So you want to start off by, you know, you don't, you don't just like blindly put a price. What, what is the market for what I'm offering, right? And now how do I price myself relative to the market? So it really depends. But let's say you're really starting. Let's say you... um you know, you haven't been a long time in this field, or maybe you have been in this field, but people don't know it yet. And this is, or people know you're in that field, but you've never offered uh, a product or a service of this type or whatever. I mean, you're really kind of starting to kind of build your authority around this. In most cases, when you've looked at the different offers in the market, you probably want to price yourself not at the lowest end of the market, but at the top of the lowest range. Okay, so let's say you notice, and again, this is initially, and this is only at, at the beginning. You want to be at the top of the lowest range in the market. So let's say, let's talk about digital courses, because that's kind of like what I know best, and it's very clear, okay? Let's say let's say you're trying to develop something that's knowledge-based, and you're developing a course, and you're selling a six-week course, and there are six-week courses out there in a similar field as yours that sell for, on the lowest range, the lower courses tend to sell, it seems to you from what you've looked at, they sell from, I don't know, 397 to 497, something like that. Those seem to be like low. And then their courses, and again, they're pretty similar to what you offer, your content, your structure, whatever it is, right? Then there are courses that you see that are also very similar, but they're they're medium range. They're in 697 up to 897. And then there are, you know, 997 to 2,997 courses, right? So you see where your course might fall, but you might want to start out at 497 or maybe even 597. I'm not going to say that I encourage you to be at the 397 level or even lower than that, right? So I'm, I'm kind of starting you off a little bit higher because most people have a tendency to underprice themselves. And um, so, you know, that's kind of like my general advice. But again, you have to tweak this. And it just first starts with understanding what the market is, okay? Now, you mentioned being there. Those were your words. And I think it's very important that when you start out in business, you're nurturing your audience. You have to decide how you will be consistently adding value and showing up and doing that, right? You can't just open shop and no one has had a taste of what you sell and expect people to just flock to your shop and buy your thing. You've got to give them samples. You've got to give them taste, right? Um, 
And that's why I started this answer by telling you to start by becoming visible and vocal about the problem you're looking to solve with your business, the value that you're adding. And that will continue to happen all the time, right? There's This is not something that we stop. We always have to be nurturing our audience, our customers, adding value, priming them um, to come and buy from you, right? I hope that makes sense. Again, I have a full course on this accessible through Jewish workshops called From Purpose to Profit, where I go into this m- in much, much more detail. And I take you really, it's very systematic. I take you from idea to monetized offer in six weeks. Reach out if you want me to connect you with Jewish workshops and uh, make sure that you're in the loop when they're going to offer it for sale again. All right. Next question is from Lori. She asks via email. Thank you so much for the opportunity to join your creative trust class. My question is, does the number 11 have anything to do with Teshuva? I looked up the gematria for Teshuva and I, and Google said it was 1112. I thought the gematria for Teshuva was 11. If it's not Teshuva, what would you say the number 11 signifies? Thank you so much. Okay, Lori, I am not a gematria expert by any means. Um, But I'm sorry to tell you, or maybe not so sorry to tell you, it's probably a good thing to inform everybody out there that Google failed you and it often fails us. So again, don't trust everything that Google says. The gematria, this much I do know with certainty, the gematria or the numerical, um, what do we call gematria in English? I'm blanking out. But um, the numerical value of the Hebrew word teshuva is not 1112, it's 713. Um, again, I'm no gematria whiz, but this is kind of, um, you know, something I'm very clear about. If you take the letters in the word teshuva, taf, shin, vav, base, and hey, again, the Hebrew letters, and you add their numerical values according to Ju- Judaism, right? Um, Taf is 400, Shin is 300, Vav is 6, Base is 2, and He is 5. Now you have 713. Again, when you add the numerical values of the letters in the word Teshuva, 400, 300, 6, 2, and 5, you have the number 713. Now, where you might have been thinking that, or somebody might have told you that tesh- the gematria of Teshuva is 11, is because... When you look at the number 713, there's something in gematria called misparkatan, the short gematria of that 713 number, which is when you add those digits, you add those three digits, seven, one, and three gives you the number 11. So that is perhaps why you had that understanding. And as to what the number 11 means, I can't really say much. All I remember is that there are 11 spices or there were 11 spices in the incense offering in the Pesach and the Mishkan and the Ketoret um, and, and the Holy Temple. And today, obviously, the Holy Temple no longer stands, except we're really waiting for it to stand again. Yes, please. You can all give me an amen, amen to that. Um, and, you know, the Kohen Gadol enters the Holy of Holies metaphorically, I guess, through our recitation of the account of his service, of the Yom Kippur temple service during our prayers on Yom Kippur. Um, and in that case, our ketoret, our incense sacrifice, or our incense offering, sorry, is a better word, offering, um, would be a spiritual ketoret um, that is is 
you know, it's within our human soul. Um, and that is the teshuva that we make, the, the spiritual work of the day of Yom Kippur. So that's something that's related that you might, you know, might find interesting. And if you want more deep Kabbalah on this, on the number 11, um, which is again, way above my pay grade, I'm going to refer you to a site that I trust enormously. And I don't trust every site on Google when it comes to Jewish stuff. And that is Chabad.org. Um, not everything out there is kosher, valid information. As you just found out, you were given some gematrias. And I looked up and I saw the answer that you got. And I, it, it, it was bogus. It was really bogus. Okay, that is not the gematria of the word teshuva. Um, but not so anyway, so I'm going to refer you to Kabbalah.org. There is a section in there called Kabbalah Online. And there is a nice article deep, I gotta say it's deep stuff. Um, it's titled on the golden altar. And it'll give you a little bit more about the number 11 and the Katoris and all that. Thanks, Lori. Uh, and again, that's for all the aspiring Kabbalists in the audience. Now for numbers that I might be more familiar with, Adina asks via email, do you have a podcast on putting funds away for retirement? Well, yes, I do. Actually, uh, you're not asking me, Adina, a specific question about retirement. You're asking me for references to past episodes. I'm going to give you a nice list of past episodes where the topic of retirement has been covered or where I've answered specific questions about retirement. And we've again, we've had a lot. And if you have a further question, a de more detailed question, I'll be happy to answer it here on the show. I think um, these are some of the favorites, these are things that maybe we, a lot of the audience feels like, you know, nobody kind of taught us about this. So it's nice to start really um, kind of getting getting it in through our brain. Like, how does it work? And what do I have to do, etc. So, okay, so let me give you the list. Episode 305 with Emily Guy Birkin is all about retirement. A really, really nice episode. Uh, we dedicated it specifically to retirement to and answering questions from the audience about retirement. Episode 333 is an Ask Yael where I answer a question on retirement. I think maybe even two. I'm not sure, but I do talk about retirement. Episode 297 with Jeremy Schneider might also be very helpful. We talk about retirement. We talk about investing, other things. Episode 287 is an Ask Yael where I answer questions on retirement, episode 285 also, and episode 252. So 305, 333, 297, 287, 285, and 252. Those are definitely good starting points, good starting points for you, Adina. Let me know if you have specific questions. And that is a wrap, my friends. Thanks to Aliza, Mati, Lori, and Adina for your questions. I hope everyone has a Shabbat Shalom and a good, wonderful week ahead. I am still not pushing myself to air interviews. It's been tough to get the show going with everything that our Jewish world is going through. So bear with me. I do have a few interviews in the works that I'm very excited about, but scheduling has just been very difficult. Uh, I mean, it's 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 just a difficult time, but let's stay focused on the goal. Let's keep bringing on light. We're about to enter the month of Kislev, believe it or not. We're, we're starting this week, jumping right into Rosh Chodesh really, really soon, Rosh Chodesh Kislev, and may we just merit the ultimate life. And let me leave you with those words and a Shabbat Shalom. See you here next week.